Hello and welcome again to another encounter lesson. This will be the second lesson of our winter quarter. Did lesson last week. It's also going to be the second week of Advent. Uh, so if you're um, keeping track, you're going to light the second candle today. Um, our scripture lesson is Isaiah chapter 55. We've entitled the lesson Come to the Waters and our um, scripture selection itself is Isaiah 55, 1 through 13, and I will start us off with our prayer for illumination. We gathered to, or excuse me, we gather today, O Lord of life, seeking fullness, not the fullness our world offers, but fullness that comes from you. Help us now today to find fulfillment in your love. May we seek you while we yet have the gift of days. Lift us, O God, to a higher plane of living. Amen. All right. And then the memory verse is from Isaiah chapter 55, verse one. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That's awesome. Uh, this is one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite uh, chapters in scripture because I, I like the uh, just the imagery is awesome. Um, and. We're going to go through it today. It offers a lot of hope to people still living in, in exile, but it's a whole lot better than the last couple, you know, with the gloom and doom that we've had. So, yeah, um, yeah, we pretty gloomy. <laughs> yeah. Get get back to a little bit of of explicit hope. Um, there we go. So I did want to ask you a question. Uh, I'll ask this discussion question. What is home for you today? Reach back into your memory. What were some of the lessons you remember from being home? What made your house, the building you lived in, a home? So um, I like to ask the question. I'm 41, and and even some of my friends were a little bit different. But I'm wondering if I'm like the last of the generations that when I say home, I know exactly what I'm talking about because my family has had the same home longer than I've been alive for, you know, 40. I think they've owned the house for 46 years. And so you know, no matter where I've moved to or gone from, I've always said home and I always mean the house in Hendersonville, Tennessee. So anyway, I'm just curious, did your family move a lot or, or do you have, when you think of home, do you have yeah. a spot? What do you, what do you think? That's a great question. And I really pondered this when I read this earlier, because I grew up Midwest Wisconsin and my dad built the home that I lived in my entire young life, right? And it was when I was 19, I think I had just turned 19, that my parents moved from my childhood home to Southern Missouri. And, and so home to me was this, at that time in my life, was this stable place. This, is, this was home. This is where I lived. This is where my family was. My grandparents were just a quarter mile away. Um, I had an aunt that lived a half a mile down the road. So th this was home. This is my home base and where everything happened. And I have beautiful memories. And if, and if you, uh, this is a shameless plug, but if you, if you're interested in, in hanging out in my childhood home, it is available on Verbo. Uh, <laughs> just to hear where now it's available on Verbo. Um, but then when I got married, my husband, who his stepdad, his dad, his adopted dad, um, was in the army. They moved a lot. And I just could not, I could not fathom that. I'm like, gosh, you know, that's terrible. Always being the new kid in school, whatever. 
but my husband and I have moved a lot. And so my idea of home has changed. When I was a kid, home was the stable location. And my parents are still in the home that they purchased in Southeast Missouri, but I never lived in that home. So to me, that's my parents' home. That's not, that's not what I call it. And for my family, because we have moved so many different places in several different states, home is us as a people. Um, You know, we talk about the memories that my kids have of this home in this location or this home in this location. And they were so young in some of the places we lived that they don't really remember a whole lot about it. But for us, home is just us being together. This is this is our home. It's where we are located at this time. Yeah. And right now we're in Madisonville, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't know. It's I, my stepdaughter just went off to Murray State, which is literally 45 minutes down the road. But she's here mm-hmm. a lot more maybe than she's there. Um, and, and some of it is it's a comfort. I think we all get it. Like, I, I do love sure. I, I just walking there. Houses have smells, right? Yes. And, oh, and absolutely. Walk in and even just smelling or seeing or knowing all the places to where, like, you know, you checked off the marks of your growing up years if your parents did that on a wall or, you know, where you like, my parents don't remodel much. They're finally doing it. But like, I knew every stain that I made in the carpet, every hole up <laughs> the wall. Um, I mean, you know, there's just these, these things and it is a psychological thing to where you have a home base and and you feel, um, but then again, like I said, I think in this generation, man, well, since I was 19, I averaged to move every three years up until I was, got married to Amy 10 years ago and we've been here for a while, but I mean, like you need it, but you do need a place to set roots. So that's sure, it. sure. And I love how you brought up smells because that that is very indicative to me of home. So where I grew up was literally in the middle of the woods. Like our driveway was a quarter mile long. I'm not I'm not saying that to be one of those people that oh, our driveway was you know, we had to walk uphill both ways. No, our driveway was literally a quarter mile long and we were out in the middle of the woods. And so one of the things that I think of is of home is the smell of pine trees because we had so many pine trees around us. So when I drive through a, a wooded area where there's a lot of pine trees and I have that smell, it brings back all these memories from my childhood, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting how powerful that is in our mind. And, and we carry those things with us and, and it's like a refreshing, like it's a refreshing hit sometimes, like just sure. the memories of, of comfort, security, these kinds of things, especially if yeah. you're in a good home. Um, again, yeah. not necessarily speaking about the building, but a good home, the building and the people in it and all that good jazz. And so, yeah, the memories that you have with that. What is that? And then, uh, so then that I think sets us up for what Kip is uh, introducing us to in this um, lesson. It's, uh, you know, when you have a complete and total loss of your home base, you have to find new ways of having a home, even new ways of interacting as a family. Like, you know, I think about that, even the the home that you're in shapes who you are, the physical building does. So like when I was growing up, we had an extra bedroom. A lot of times somebody was in it, right? Like, sure. so I carried that over. Amy's family wasn't like that. They didn't have a lot of room. And so you didn't have right. people coming in all the time. And so like, it's just amazing how your physical places and, and those memories that are made and shaped and formed and all that. Um, it does. And so now yeah, I think about all the homes that we lived in, 
and how I decorated each one differently. Differently, yeah, because it's different. Spots. Nothing, nothing was the same. It was, it was always different. Yeah. And so there's that tension between, yes, it's a building. It's like the church. Yes, it's a building, but it's mm-hmm. also a people. So here, um, yeah, but man, there's a psychological thing, like I said. And, and so like when you have a group of people who, who their whole life has been formed and shaped by this geographic area, the, the habits and rituals they're in, and then all of a sudden all that shifted, right? Like, I mean, you know, um, just people have different cultures. Like, you know, in, in Middle Tennessee, there's a lot of lakes and rivers and parks. And so there's, you tend to learn certain things. But if you go to somewhere like New York City, you don't have a lot of green space. It just feels different. And so we're, we're all yeah. different. So the Hebrews find themselves in a place that they don't understand. They don't know with people who are weird and, and they're, they've lost everything. And so it's in the midst that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks that then Isaiah comes through and says, Hey, here's the vision. Like, right. You feel hopeless, empty, find your purpose, hope, your sustenance in me, even though you're in that foreign land, I'm not gone, still here. And they are surrounded by a community too. I mean, like, you know, they didn't go individually and never see each other again. There were groups that went around like uh, in Jeremiah, I think it was Jeremiah where we, we read, you know, you're a group of people while you're here, do the best you can, right? These kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, So um, I'm just going to move on. And I think that's a pretty good introduction. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll talk more. I mean, none of us have probably experienced an exile like the Israelites have physically. We might have spiritually. I mean, that's, we do, you know, like Adam and Eve, we experience a spiritual exile when we're apart from God and whatnot. But so in the exploring the scripture um, setting, uh, I did want to bring up, so like, the biblical prophets, especially the major prophets, um, I wanted to bring up. So a lot of times you can't tell whether these are like sometimes like in Jeremiah, it goes around chronologically and then sometimes it's grouped in themes. And then yeah. Isaiah is kind of the same way. But um, now I'm a person who has always just I'm I'm easy to say that just I believe one Isaiah, just one person, Isaiah wrote this whole thing um but you know the scholarly debates that you know it's broken up into three different books or some parts of it written sure. before and then parts of it, I, don't, I don't go for that i just i've always thought that if jesus can be raised from the dead then they you know then god can probably get the book right without you know that kind of thing that's always been right my, yeah. but you know i'm it doesn't hurt my heart one way or the other um but anyway it is important to see the regardless who wrote when it was written or whatever, there's certainly a consolidation. You can see like in, from chapters one through 30, whatever. And then there you have a little mm-hmm. consolation and then you have the end of the book. It is good to know those things for study because you see the flow of things. And so when you're trying to yes. interpret, you know, which section you're in and you know how to interpret as opposed to some other place. So that's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty important thing. So I just wanted to start with that. Now I'm going to let you, uh, bring up some of the things that you found helpful in the lesson or observation. Mm-hmm. I, I did really like that Kip brought forward the different looks, the different scholarly looks, because there is there is a, a, a decent debate. And I'm kind of like you in the fact that, you know, 
God's God. (laughs) And could he have given Isaiah the vision of what's going to happen in the future? And Isaiah wrote, sure, absolutely. I agree. But I'm also kind of, I don't know if that I'm a three book, you know, he brought up this idea that there's the three different sections of Isaiah. I I don't know if I really kind of go with that one more kind of in the, in the two, maybe Isaiah wrote the first half and then Isaiah's disciples, you know, understanding his vision and, and who Isaiah was helped um, do the second half of the book. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of go back and forth on both, but I do really appreciate that. That Kip brought that into the conversation. Also major prophets. We've talked about this before. And I talked about this at my churches. We talk about major and minor prophets. And the only difference between major and minor prophets is major prophets, their books are bigger and minor prophets, their books are really small. They take longer to read. But they do, that's why they're called major prophets and minor prophets. Not that they were any more important than the minor prophets it's just the book length is the the difference there um but then kip brings out something in the very last paragraph that i really wanted to touch on he said their situation may be difficult for 21st century christians to understand but for the jews it is a history they remind themselves of and teach to every new generation remembering the moment when god's voice called out to them offering them food and drink offering them life once again and yet another chance at a relationship with god And it is hard for us. I think you talked about we have spiritual exiles, but an actual physical exile, that is a really hard concept for us to grasp. Like I've never been, I've moved a lot, but I've never moved because I was forced to, because I had somebody coming in behind me and saying, okay, you can't live here any longer. You've got to go to another state. I've I've never experienced that. So I don't really understand how difficult that was because every move that we made was a choice of our own. Um, whether it was jobs or whatever we were looking for, that was the reason that we moved. And it got me to thinking about all the refugees that are moving today. You know, we talk about them as refugees. I just watched um, a news article this morning on some Afghan refugees that have settled in Owensboro. And I just can't even fathom And I bet they know a whole lot about how the Jews felt because they had this 18 years. They were working with American forces, American government, American contractors, and then life was good. They were happy. They loved their country. They loved what they were doing. And then as the American forces pulled out and the Taliban came in, they were forced to flee for their lives, for their lives. They had to flee. And they didn't come to Owensboro directly. The news report talked about how they went from country to country and then finally have settled in Owensboro. And so now here they're surrounded with Owensboro, Kentucky. I love the people there. But for an Afghani refugee, I can only imagine how different yeah. this has to be. And, and getting used to, especially during our holiday season when we are like consumer glory, right? how we are just this whole different culture about how they as a family are trying to settle into a new place in a new land, trying to get their family, some of whom are still stuck in Afghan, trying to get them out prayerfully alive and be able to be reunited with them once again in in a completely different environment, a different way of doing business, different way of living. Um, And I can only imagine how just overwhelming that has to be to them. Absolutely got it. And that made me think about the the Jews, you know, as they left and were pulled off into exile, 
just, oh my gosh, a, a totally different culture. And how do you readjust to that? I mean, as a person who's moved quite a bit, every town that we've lived in called for a readjustment. We had to learn how this little culture and this place functioned. Because even though it's the United States, each town operates a a little bit different, you know, and and so it's getting used to each different culture and the places that we've lived. But here you're talking a very, very huge cultural difference for the Jews as well. So that's a good thought. Yeah, it is a good thought. And and so as I was thinking about this, the other problem, I, I say problem. So if you understand, so if you understand the story, a lot of times in the prophets, God uses these physical means to demonstrate a spiritual, you know, mm-hmm. spiritual reality. And so, like, you yes. know, we've said before, Hosea goes out and marries a prostitute. Of course, he gets cheated on. So he goes and gets her back. And so it, it sometimes it's we're spiritually dead. God then uses these physical things to shake us out of our our own. The mistake I think we make sometimes, too, though, with with uh, being in exile, and I'm sure it happened with the Israelites. I think about churches who remember the bygone glory days. They almost feel like yeah. from all that. A sense of nostalgia can also sink in, sink in, and and then if we, and if we're not careful, we we mistake this like home may not have been as good as we are idealizing it. If you know, and so like one of the dangers for people in exile is to live in the past and not yeah. see what God is doing in the future. And so I think what Isaiah is also trying to do in this is saying, wait, God's got a future of food and wine and milk mm-hmm. prepared for you. Don't be, don't be scared about the present. Don't be stuck in the past. Keep moving forward. And so Again, I think the bigger narrative is for us is that we are, you know, exiled and we're making our way back to Eden spiritually and, and as well. Yes. And sometimes we get stuck on the things of this world, right? Uh, and we get complacent. Yeah. It yeah, we get comfortable place. and we get complacent in, in what we're doing currently. And sometimes God uses things spiritually, even in our lives today, if you're not moving or whatever it happens to be. Sometimes God shakes us up just because we're stuck and he needs us to grow and to mature. Yeah, I think it's here in, um, let me see. He writes in here somewhere and I can't remember where I got it. Uh, It might be in the next, next section, but he's talking about how, you know, there was an offer to go back home, but some of them didn't go back home it's because they were comfortable where they were and i can't remember where i thought i had it Um, evidently i did not um but anyway i know it's talking about because it's in here uh, (laughs) but anyway even when the people returned he also brought up at least um, on page 12 that fourth or fifth chapter how like even when you come home doesn't mean you're coming home but you ain't got no resources so you're kind of happy you're home but then now what and so again now what are you gonna do whether you're in exile, whether you're back home, you still need this promise. You still need this sustenance from God. You still have to have faith and, and all these things. And so, uh, so anyway, um, I think that's a, that's a pretty, I mean, just the vision, like sometimes mm-hmm. all you have is a vision to live, right? Like if you've ever been, you know, addicted to things, or if you've ever been on the just brink of hopelessness or whatever, you just need a glimmer or something to keep you going or to yeah, try again, keep you going. these things, a little bit of hope. Yeah, I think you got to yep. um, look at that. Well, um, I probably will get to what I was thinking somewhere when we're going through the next <laughs> chapter. Um, so the digging deeper section, 
Um, I really did like this this question or this this section pretty well. Um, so Kip brings up like the parable of the great banquet and people aren't coming, right? They, he's the, the master's opened up the house. Uh, and so then sends out servants and say, you know, go at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Mm-hmm. Ah, there we go. And then next chapter says the parable alludes to how the Israelites have gone from those who had made excuses to those who have become poor. Their excuses and refusal to accept God's invitation have placed them in a situation where their lives have been turned upside down. Um, however, Isaiah brought yet another invitation, which is more than just an average meal. And so I, th- I think what Kip is bringing out there is that God has opened this thing. And sometimes we're not even paying attention to that, which God is, is providing for us. And so, but there's always this reminder for the people of God to say, Hey, still here. I'm offering more than you can get somewhere else. I'm offering more, whether you're in exile, I'm offering more, whether you're living at home and still not, still not fulfilled. Um, the, these kinds of things. Um, so, um, I'll stop there and I'll, I'll let, I'll pivot to you. I've got one more thing there on that second, first full paragraph on 13, but if you've got something to throw in, please do. Yeah. I really like that whole idea of their lives being turned upside down. And so I think about us with, with spiritual exile, how, how we become complacent how we have this nostalgia, how we think, well, this is the way church has always been. And this is the way, you know, back in the glory days, this is what we were doing and how sometimes God rocks our world literally to, to shake us up out of that complacency and takes us to a place where we feel almost hopeless. You know, I think about some situations um, in the churches that, that I'm pastoring and how, they have gotten to a point or we're at points of what do we do now? And, and it's in those moments when you see this great banquet where God's saying, look, I have all this amazing things that I can offer you, but you have to rely on me. It's not about you. It's not about what you're doing. It's about me and what I'm offering you. And all you have to do is accept it. Walk through the doors, come sit at my table and feast and and look at all the possibilities of what I can offer you. Um, But we get so focused in, oh, but that's not the way we used to do things or that's not how our church used to look. Um, Or even just personally, you know, when we become complacent in where we are and our spiritual walk, you know, and sometimes he rocks, rocks us to the core or physical. So like, I've always said, you you know, that phrase, the devil, you know, is better than the one you don't or whatnot. Like, so (laughs) I've worked a lot with, yeah, I've worked a lot uh, in the past. Haven't much here lately because just timing and not, not in the local church, but with uh, domestic abuse um, Mm. folks. And it, it took me a while, probably like it does everybody else. Like you, you have in your mind, how in the world can you stay with that person? And you, and you work hard and you get people like to, you know, like, like in here in Paducah, we have something called the Merriman house that offers yeah. shelter or whatnot for, for women uh, who are in abusive relationships and they'll run great for like two weeks. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, I think one time, you know, like the way that there's like a, 
an addiction and they have to go back to it. And it's just because it, it is comfortable. And, and I don't, I don't throw any shade. It was hard for me to grasp myself, grasp my mind around how somebody would want to go back. But then, you know, there's a lot of psychological stuff that goes through there. And absolutely. And so sometimes it's that you get comfortable in places. And like I said, being where you're at sometimes is better than the unknown, whether, whether it's true or not, that's how we get. And I think that's what you were bringing up with churches. Not that, you know, I mean, maybe I've seen some churches be abusive to their pastors and I've seen pastors be abusive (laughs) to churches, but I think churches get it. That's what happens. Churches get into thing. They can see they're dying. Like their average age is like 82 and there's seven people left, but far be it to do something different, you know? Right. Uh, And that's what we all do. Um. So I did want to bring up, he, uh, Kip brings up Proverbs chapter nine, verses five through six. This is a thing that I've, I've loved in the past and, and it shows what makes mistakes we can make it. It furthers this conversation on. Um, so in Proverbs chapter nine, yeah, Proverbs eight and nine or whatever, anyway, one chapter is about wisdom. One chapter is about folly. And if you read those two together about wisdom and folly, they mimic each other. So like in one chapter, it says wisdom stands on the heights and over house and calls out to anybody. You foolish come in to eat, eat, eat my bread, eat my wine. And then in the next chapter, it's the lady folly. And she, she stands at the doorpost of her house and says, anybody who needs come in here, eat my drink and eat my bread for, you know, sweet as stolen wine and sweet, you know, is better. But anyway, we have to be careful. And I think what Kip is bringing up here, we can fill ourselves on the wrong thing and find sustenance. And, and, and at the very beginning, foolishness and wisdom look the same. They offer the same thing. Uh, but, the, but as Proverbs says, the way of the fool, it, it ends in death. Uh, you know, but the way of wisdom, that's eternal life and righteousness, these kinds of things. And so God offers true food. The world offers food. But we've got to make the right choices and put our hope in the right thing. Exile boils it down to what I think last week you talked about, like, uh, you know, could be people that you knew who lost everything. One turned in to their spirituality, one turned away. Now, both of these people are probably seeking comfort. They're seeking some type of help. But where are you going to turn? And so I think the the Isaiah passage then stands to say, I've got what you need. I got what you want and need. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Like the world can't offer that. Um, So, Anyway, that's I wanted to make sure we brought up that and then kept I, instantly it comes when when you're offered the waters, you you know, a good a good Christian Bible study should automatically think of the Samaritan woman at the well. Yeah. And yeah, of course. In the wordplay there, uh, how God offers both our, you know, daily bread, but also our spiritual nourishment and, and these kinds yeah. of things. So you got anything left on that? Yeah, I think that same paragraph where you had Proverbs. Kip ends that paragraph with, these are the choices they and we are given in our journey of faith. God gives them a choice. Do this and reap the rewards. Don't do this. And by your own choice, continue your suffering. Yeah, man. I mean, that's that's it. Um, there's choice. <laughs> yeah, and there's a certain way. So then I want to bring up the discussion question when he writes, when you consider the eternal covenant we have been given by God through Jesus, how hard is it to do what we are called to do to make the right choice? When do you find it hardest? How do you find the strength to make the right choices? Now, when I think about things, I don't think about them in terms of making the right or wrong choice. What happens to me is because I'm in a, at my worst, I'm a manipulator. So I show my, I mean, 
I mean, I don't do it all the time, but like when I'm <laughs> like when I want to get something done, if I can manipulate instead of just letting processes go or trusting or having faith, I'm going to I'm going to push buttons where I think I can push buttons and I'm going to and it's terrible. And that's that's I guess in my way, that's me trying to do things in my own power, getting my own water. Yes. And ultimately, I'm going to come up dry. And so there's a lot of times where I'll have to be like. Yeah, I guess I got to trust on this one. And like, I, I know mm-hmm. I'm stepping over my bounds and, and I don't mean to, I mean, everybody has their little stinky parts, but like, I, I even see it in small things, you know, with Amy, like if I want to spend money on something, I'm going to create an environment by which it makes sense to buy that thing. Right. Uh, and, and Oh my goodness. Ah, don't lie. You got it too. <laughs> well, well, maybe. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a great I love this discussion question. That was one of the ones that I had highlighted because it is, it is really hard. You know, he says, how hard is it to do what we're called to do to make the right choice? Terribly difficult because what we want to do is like what you're saying is we want to manipulate and we want to set up the situation. So the most logical, obvious choice is going to be the one that we want, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, that just makes sense. So it's really hard when God calls us to trust in him and allow him to make whatever happen happen. Cause we're like, wait a minute, but if I do this and if I do this and I do that, then it's going to happen that way. And that's not always the way it needs to happen. And that's not always the way it should happen. So trusting is an incredibly hard thing to do because the world around us tells us that you make your own situation, that you make your own life, that you make your own circumstances, you're in control and, and allowing God to be in control and to make those decisions, man, that's hard. That's yeah. So the way I would answer that question was how do you find your strength to make the right choices is literally me saying I need weakness. Like that's the hard part for me is to say, all right, I'm taking my hands out of this because I'm, I'm doing this. So how do I find strength is to pray for weakness. Like, you know, there you go. born in the flesh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's, yep. that's how it has to work for me. Yeah. I right, think for me, God job, really kind of good. Yeah. It was a good question. I think for me, God really lines things out and I have to get to that point where I just say, yeah, whatever you want is going to happen. And I'm just going to let it go at that. It's, and that's hard. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's hard. <laughs> um, I, and then I'll say this, I have a complex, like I always bring up my children, but children are a good example, man. Like you want to do absolutely everything you, you want to intervene. You want to do, you can't, you just got to let that go sometimes and just let things yep. play out and pray to God that, you know, they don't do anything too stupid. Uh, but anyway, yeah. uh, it is what it is. All right. So with that, I'm going to turn to the learning from the scripture witness of the church section. Uh, Kip uses the um, you, most people, I'm assuming, a lot of people have have seen the Antoine Fisher movie. Um, it's it's an old not, movie. but I'm really intrigued at it now. I may have to. What in the world? What have you been doing it. with your life? Um, but anyway, so <laughs> Antoine Fisher is just a person who you know has a story like like a lot of folks, or you know many folks you might know, a hard hard knock life, um, and that hard knock life led him to being a hard headed youngin, and that hard headed youngin constantly clashing and 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 you know I've, I've worked with a lot of kids this way and and so it's it's a hard hard thing to do anyway Antoine Fisher gets um hooked up with this uh, Navy psychologist 
Um, and after time, trust is earned or whatnot. And then um, Antoine no longer feels abandoned, no longer feels exiled. Mm-hmm. And then he can start growing again. You know, you have to have a, mm-hmm. I think on this, what Kip was trying like home, yes, we've said it can be a physical place, but there's a sense in which home is a psychological safety spot so that you can start growing, right? Like it's, yes. you're, yeah. you're welcome in your own skin and then you can grow. And, and so anyway, um, but what um, Kip was bringing up here is that uh, a lot of times, a lot of things, a lot of ways that we feel that friction is that's just something's missing in our life. We don't have that complete puzzle. We don't have that one thing that, that helps us get in. And of course, in the Isaiah passage, God is saying, I'm the, I'm the missing piece. Come fellowship. Yes. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love, I'm really, I'm really intrigued by this movie. I'm going to have to go watch this movie now. Um, but I love where Kip says, we still hunger to be known and understood. We hunger to yeah. be loved. We hunger to be at peace inside our own skin. And you, and you mentioned that earlier. That is I think that's a place that we all strive and long to be. And the world gives us so many opportunities and tells us that to be loved and to be comfortable in your own skin, you do X, Y, Z, whatever that happens to be. But it's, it's usually, it usually ends up not good for you. (laughs) Whatever that is, whatever the world is telling you that to be, to be comfortable with who you are, you should do this. Uh, You know, to be comfortable with who you are is to recognize that you are made in the image of God and that you are loved by this beautiful creator who loves you right where you are and, and loves you regardless of the crazy things that you have done in your life. And once you really get into that relationship with Christ, like what Isaiah, you know, Isaiah is telling the Jews, you know, once you come back to that relationship with God, this is where you understand you're supposed to be. And for us on this side of the cross, it's once we have that relationship with Jesus, once we understand that we are just truly loved and this beautiful image that we are made in the image of God, this is when we become comfortable in our own skin and who we are. And that is a hard and difficult process, just like going through the, through the exile and coming back to the promised land, just like what it sounds like Antoine Fisher had to go through um, and reliving all the, sounds like he had terrible, terrible, terrible childhood. Um, but reliving all of that and understanding who he was, um, through this relationship with this doctor, you know, it's when we get into that relationship with Jesus is when we become comfortable with who we are as a person. So it was the second paragraph in the bottom on page 14. Uh, which I still think it, it goes in with this conversation. So I'll just read it. Isaiah's message is to a people who have settled reluctantly at first into the surroundings. When allowed to go back home by Cyrus, many chose to stay. Why? Because it became comfortable. Or maybe they were just frightened to see what was out there. So Isaiah gives them another option, not one made with hands, but one that comes from God. All who are weary come home to God. All who are thirsty come to the waters. All who are hungry eat what is good, right? And I, and I think that's what you're saying. And I think that's the, the thing. So whether you're in exile, whether you're at home, we're not home. We're not, you know, right. We don't have to be in exile either. Physically we can home. We might not be, I mean, because the connection is with God, not with a physical place, not with, you know, I mean, that's, that's the offer. Yeah, so um, let me, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, like, so then the, the bottom paragraph during the pandemic church, church looked very different, still does. 
worshiping online, staying six feet apart, wearing masks. I've always, I, I hate that. Like I, some churches are kind of slowly getting on, but, but man, like, yeah, I, I, this is one place where I can feel like I miss coffee and donuts, not because I love donuts. I miss the conversation there. Like, yes, I miss it. I miss the fellowship. Uh, full yes. I miss hearing loud voices singing and, you know, music coming off the, you know, just loud. I, just, I, yeah. I miss it. Yeah, I miss it. I miss it a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I will say that during this time, I think smaller churches have had an advantage um, because it's easier to social distance when you don't have that many people in your church anyway. Yeah. Um, so I will say that I think smaller churches have had an advantage during, during the pandemic, but I will also echo the fact that is one thing that we have all come to understand in both the congregations that I serve of how important our fellowship is and how much we missed just being together and being able to see each other's face and to have conversation around the potluck table saying, you know, how are your kids? How are your grandkids doing? How is so-and-so feeling? Are you still watching that show that you love to watch? How much we miss just the interaction, the personal interaction with each other. Um, and, and that to me, even though the pandemic was difficult and is still difficult to a certain degree, that to me, was so beautiful because people finally recognize that what they really need is other people. What they really need is their community. What they really need is their church family and how important they are in their life. Because I think we had gotten to the point where we were complacent. We were, we were happy with, Oh, we see each other once a month, you know, 45 minutes, an hour on Sunday. We're good, you know, and, and they recognize through this how important those relationships really were. Absolutely. Uh, so there was an exile there. there um, was an exile. So applying the scripture, uh, Kip brings up the uh, this poem that was written by Antoine Fisher. I'm not going to go through the poem, but I would mm. encourage you all to read it. Uh, and then there's a person with no hope. Right. But then he found hope ultimately with this doctor and then ultimately in other things with his life or whatnot. Um, and then I did want to bring up. So second paragraph before the introduction question, Kip says the doctor helped change the way Antoine looked at the situation. That's what this vision and that's what these visions of hope from the from the prophets are supposed to do for exiled people or sinful people, people with no hope. It doesn't change the situation instantly, right? but it changes the way you can think about the situation. Again, like nobody likes to suffer, but if somebody can see some purpose in suffering, nobody likes to get disciplined, but if there's purpose behind the discipline, at least you can, at least you can accept it. Right. Right. I, I agree with that. I think, um, you know, we love to talk about our mountaintop moments in those moments that we're just love and life and everything is going great. And then when we hit the valley again, that's when we start complaining and whining and why do we have to walk through this? But as a, as a pastor, I had an older um, Christian woman in one of my congregations tell me, grabbed me almost by the chin, pulled me right into her face and said, it's in those valley moments that we grow. 
that we recognize our dependence on God, that we understand who we are and the life that we're walking through. And, and it's there that we see God working in our lives the most. And I think about that a lot when we're suffering in our own exile, whether it's a spiritual exile and you're feeling kind of dry right now, or whether it's the, the pandemic that we feel like we're in exile, it's in, it's in those moments that God's there with us saying, okay, I'm, I'm trying to show you a different way. I'm trying to show you something new. And do we have, do we have enough intestinal fortitude of our own to look around our suffering circumstance and go, okay, God, I don't like what I'm walking through right now, but what are you trying to teach me? Mm. What is it that I need to learn right here at this moment so that I can serve you better so that I can be hands and feet for somebody else that may be walking through the same thing. And if we can ask ourselves that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of that moment of just horrible exile and say, God, help me see the lesson that I need to learn. And to be able to walk through that, what a huge blessing that that turns around for us so that we can turn around and be a blessing to others. All right. Well, um, I think I've got some work going on in my house, hence I'm in the pink room and uh, I hear a hammer and other things and my dog is barking. So I, I think the Lord has blessed us with about 30 minutes of peace. I think I'm going to keep it. I'm going cool. to call it a victory. And we're going to end Amen. it. Becky, will you send us out today with a blessing? Surely. Gracious God, we just thank you so much for this beautiful day and this time that we can gather together across the world, wherever we are listening to this today. Lord, help us in those moments of exile to recognize that you are showing us a new thing. And to be able to ask you, God, what do I need to learn? What do I need to understand? So that when I come out of this, I am a better person for you. Lord, we ask that you touch each person listening to this today, that you help them have open eyes and open hearts to your scripture. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll see you again next week.